Listening to the Weekly Brew. Welcome to the Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in an hour or less. I'm Austin Stat, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. Jeremy, not only is it my understanding that you had some escapades the past two weeks, but we are actually recording this podcast for the second time. If you want to go ahead and tell the listeners why, I think they might enjoy this. I just forgot to hit the unpause button. So here I am hitting my head against the wall, um, asking myself how I could forget something so important. In terms of... Uh, my my weekend escapades that uh, prevented me from being on the weekly brew here for the past couple of weeks. Um, last weekend was a combination of uh, Halloween parties that turned into celebrations. And so despite all of that, I'm still alive and able to sit down with you fine gentlemen and record this podcast. And record it for the second time. Just want to make sure everyone is aware of that. But uh, Kevin, for the last few weeks, you've been on the podcast. You've made no excuses. You've podcasted like a champion. How was your past week? The week was great. I uh, covered my first Rockets game. So that's officially the first pro sporting event that I've been credentialed to by a media outlet. And so I got to sit in the same room as uh, Kevin McHale and uh, James Harden, uh, Ty Lawson, um, I don't think that they would recognize me by sight again, but I was there with them and Calvin Murphy actually bumped into my shoulder, not like in a Toby Keith way, but in like a friendly kind of like, oh, hey, sorry, man. So Calvin Murphy actually spoke words to me, Uh, which I'm not really so much starstruck as I was just absolutely flabbergasted by his jacket. He's kind of like a Craig Sager acolyte. Um, He really wears some loud stuff, but uh, it was intensely enjoyable. Uh, Definitely what I want to be doing, you know, long term. I love uh, the NBA more than anything. Um, that isn't a human person. And so it was really, uh, it was a good week for me. Uh, big step forward. For myself, I was actually in the Pacific Northwest this week. It was the first time they had been up there. I was in Seattle and Bellingham, Washington for a crisis communications drill. And I'll just tell you what, if you guys have, if you ever had the chance to go to the Pacific Northwest, it's absolutely gorgeous up there. Uh, beautiful drive heading from Seattle to Bellingham. It's about an hour and a half, two hour drive. Uh, gorgeous coastline with the Puget Sound right there. So I uh, highly recommend that if you get the chance. And uh, also this past week, I was in informed by Kevin that we have a new sponsor. Kevin, tell us about it. Absolutely, I do. We are proud to be sponsored by We Desserts. Now, that's we, um, like something a French woman would say in bed. That's O-U-I, desserts. Uh, And I have a little live read here, so I'm going to practice my live reading skills. Um, We Desserts is now serving hot New Orleans-style beignets on Friday and Saturday all day long. These are authentic French Quarter donuts that are piping hot and served with powdered sugar and a side of vanilla bean cream. And they also offer a Bananas Foster version with pecan brittle powdered sugar topping and banana caramel ice cream for the more adventurous types. The texture is perfectly crispy on the outside with a light, fluffy inside. Remember, beignet days at We Desserts are Friday and Saturday all day. They're located at 3411 Kirby. And if you mention you heard about them on our podcast, you get 10% off of your purchase there. It's beignet day. Be there. 
All right. So thank you to We Desserts for sponsoring the Weekly Brew. And again, we've mentioned in the past that uh, you can follow us on social media. You can follow us at facebook.com slash weeklybrewcast. Also on Twitter at twitter.com at weeklybrewcast. Uh, we definitely interact with our listeners on there as much as possible. Uh, we want to be engaged with our audience and uh, kind of hear from you, hear that feedback. And I'd like to say that we appreciate you making the Weekly Brew a part of your lives. I was sort of thinking about it, and you people are listening to this in the course of your daily activities. So I just want to reach out. If you're working out right now in the gym, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts in the gym. I want to say to you, you're doing a great job. Push harder, turn that resistance up a bit, and get after it. Way to go. If you're in your car, I'd like to say, hey, that guy was driving like an idiot. What is this, Paris, France? Why is everyone on the road but you a total moron? If you're at work, you are so undervalued. It's unfathomable that your boss can appreciate you so little when you do so much. Keep up the good work, sir or ma'am. And so if you see what I did there um, and see how good that felt to you, you can make someone else feel that good too. Pass it on. And by that, I mean go to iTunes, click subscribe, and then mouse over to ratings and reviews and leave us a nice little five-star rating and a blurb, uh, not too dissimilar from the ones that I just gave you for your daily lives. Give back to us and you'll be glad you did. Listen to Kevin, folks. Follow us on facebook.com slash weeklybrewcast and Twitter at weeklybrewcast. All right, folks, we've got a packed show on deck. It's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, be informed. Let's start with the big lead. The big lead. As most of our listeners know, with the exception of Zach Taylor, all of our hosts are based in Houston, Texas. On election day last week, the city of Houston struck down Proposition 1, commonly known as HERO, short for the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. To break it down, HERO would have prohibited the discrimination of anyone who lives or works within the city on the basis of sex, race, color, ethnicity, national origin, marital status, military status, sexual orientation, gender identity, or any sort of discrimination in general. With vocal detractors such as Lance Berkman, Bob McNair backing them, voters struck down the ordinance by an overwhelming majority, in large part because they were concerned that men would be allowed to enter women's bathrooms. Of course, as the nation's fourth largest city and arguably the most liberal town in the state outside of Austin, national pundits began to criticize Houstonians and voters in the city. Guys, what do we make from this? I am absolutely uh, flabbergasted. I think it's unconscionable, um, and it's perplexing to me that the city turned out so well for what is such an easy issue, I think. Uh, Do you support equal rights? Do you support fairness and equality? It's kind of a no-brainer, and yet somehow we got it wrong, and we got it wrong at a rate of two to one. It's appalling, and I'm just still not quite sure how it happened, although I think Jeremy has um, a pat answer for, for that question. That I do, Kevin. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, um, I'm really pleased with uh, how the election turned out, um, both in terms of city positions and this particular uh, issue. Um, you saw really the coming together of historically left-leaning uh, minority neighborhoods and um, traditionally conservative neighborhoods on an issue that um, I think affected everybody. Um, the legislation, uh, the, the, the so-called named bathroom ordinance um, dealt with public accommodations for, in particular, um, uh, people of, of both genders who identified uh, with the opposite sex and who would like to use the opposite sex bathroom. Um, and and it, essentially, the legislation opened door opened the door for lawsuits. Um, some would say intimidation and, and litigious operations um, against businesses that uh, kind of objected to having. Um, having that happen in, in their in their place of business. So um, I, I was pleased with the way it turned out. I, I do think um, 
it's the campaigning on both sides was was very intense. Um, I was really disappointed with the way Anise Parker went about uh, trying to keep the ordinance from coming to the ballot box. In fact, she went to the Supreme Court twice. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court, that is. Um, the, the first time they told her that she actually had to put it on the ballot, and then uh, they took her to the Supreme Court again because she, uh, the way that it was written was extremely confusing for voters. So um, I was pleased with the way it turned out. Um, I, I know that uh, that many are are upset about it, but um, I, I think that this was a, a, a huge victory for, um, for for Houstonians. My concern with this is that it's 2015, and I don't understand why we still have to put things such as equal rights ordinance on the ballot. And let me explain this for a second. In the 1950s, 1960s, there was tons of racism and uh, you know huge issues in the United States, and we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later in the show, but. The fact that these aren't inherent, you know, protections is just mind-boggling to me. I mean, I, I don't understand why discrimination exists in America right now. And for me, that the largest city in the state of Texas, the fourth largest city in the United States, rejected an equal rights ordinance. I mean, that that to me is baffling. I mean, whether you agree with somebody's sexual orientation, political affiliation, that doesn't mean that you can't treat them as equals. I mean, they're not inferior to myself, to you, Kevin, to you, Jeremy. I mean, I don't understand that. To me, I think everyone should have green lights, embrace open ideas. I think that's what can actually make this country stronger, is if you do embrace those open ideas. So for me, I I was kind of surprised that prior to the election, this was actually polling as essentially a coin toss, but it was struck down, you know, by a percentage of two to one. And, and to me, as Kevin suggested earlier, is just baffling. It's a fear-mongering technique that was used. I mean, there's been accusations of that on both sides of the aisle here, but essentially, what did all the posters say that you saw around town, right? No men in women's restrooms. There were ads run of like a little girl going into a restroom and a creepy looking man following her, which was absolutely um, calculated and a deliberate um, misapplication of what the text of the bill actually said. And it was an attempt to play on uh, these fears that still exist exist. And it's very similar to, uh, you know, back in earlier periods in this country's history, um, like we talked about, uh, you know, segregation, like, well, if you allow blacks to use the same sidewalks and uh, drinking fountains, then you're going to have big, scary black men raping white women. And it happened all the time. Um, And it's essentially what we're doing now is sort of uh, uh, demonizing um, a very small feared group. I guess a lot of people probably don't know someone who is transsexual personally. And so it's easy to, um, to be a little bit more removed and to see that as like a separate class. And so everything was focused on that when in reality, the bill was much broader and more wide ranging. And it's, it's just appalling that somehow we've moved away from equality and equal rights. Okay. So a couple things, uh, I take issue with number one, um, this ordinance, I've, as I said before, um, this, this sort of thing is not within the purview of city government to regulate. Federal law um, prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, or national origin. Um, federal employment law prohibits the discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, veteran status, and uh, several disabilities. So um, if, if, these peop- if, if Mayor Parker and the people who supported this legislation really wanted um, that sort of protection, they should have gone through the appropriate channels, which is at the state and federal level, not at the city level. Um, n- number two, um, I-, I think equating gender identity, which is something that is far different from someone's race, is very problematic. And the equivalency that many progressives draw between the fight for quote-unquote equal rights 
with the civil rights movement of the 60s, it, it just doesn't, uh, that doesn't pass the smell test for me. I, I, I have a huge problem equating those two things. And so, um, and I certainly don't think that people, people who privately own businesses, who privately own business, um, who did not want uh, men using the women's restroom or vice versa, I don't think that those objections reach the level of, uh, you know, Jim Crow laws or um, the sort of racism that we saw um, in the 60s that, um, you know, African Americans had to face and Latino Americans had to face. So I, I, I have a problem equating those things. Um, and, and not to mention, I just, I look at, um, I, I look at businesses in Houston and I, I don't think when you, when you look across business and how it operates here, the market, it just doesn't favor discrimination. I mean, um, businesses that are known as racist businesses, they, they don't, they don't do well. And so, um, businesses would find themselves losing potential employees and, and clients if they did discriminate. So, um, you know, that's, that's what sort of the marketplace for ideas is for. And that's why we have free speech. So, so those, those people who, who do things that we don't like or find unacceptable can be, can be found out. Um, I know several bars in Houston that have uh, lost business because they um, have been accused of racism, and I, I certainly don't don't uh, patronize them. So I just did not think it was appropriate at the city level uh, to come in with a an ordinance like this. I don't think it's ever inappropriate at any level to support equality, to support equal rights, which is what this bill was doing. There's no level at which that is a bad idea, and in which I don't support it. Um, and I think that. To, I mean, businesses turned out in large part uh, in support of the ordinance because they see financially there's an advantage in being seen as an inclusive, progressive, um, you know, uh, area. Uh, and also because probably they were voting with their consciences, but overwhelmingly businesses supported this measure. There are businesses that did not support it. Um, and also things like churches uh, were exempted from what would have been passed here. But it's just, it's, uh, I'm looking, okay, it's truthinaction.org, right? I can tell it's conservative because it has a very Nazi-looking eagle um, on the masthead. And uh, the line it uses here is it's trying to motivate people. It's careful next time you venture into a restroom in Houston, you and your kids might get an eyeful of something you didn't expect. That sort of rhetoric is appalling. And I'm amazed that not only did it work, but that it worked so effectively against what I can only conclude is a dumb and impressionable voting public. Here at the Weekly Brew, we discuss politics, sports, and social issues. And one thing to take note of is the city of Houston actually submitted a bid to host the college football playoff national championship game uh, in between the years 2018 and 2020. Uh, this past week, the city was rejected from hosting, and the bid cities went to Santa Clara, uh, just outside of San Francisco, New Orleans, and Atlanta. Uh, one of the uh, kind of topics was whether or not uh, the committee had decided to not give Houston uh, the national championship game because of Prop 1 being voted down. And, uh, you know, reports said that this is not the case. But one thing that we actually do have to look at is in 2016, the city of Houston hosts the NCAA Final Four. And in 2017, the NFL is hosting the Super Bowl here at NRG Stadium in Houston. And proponents have spoken out and said that both the NCAA and the NFL should revoke uh, the city of Houston from hosting these events. And do we see that as an actual possibility to happening? Well, um, you know, Rick Campo, who is the uh, chairman of the Houston Super Bowl committee, um, actually said some things about this. Let me see if I can get to it here. Uh, 
I'm paraphrasing. He basically said that this is not necessarily going to be the issue that is the deciding factor. I think he used the term, uh, not the straw that breaks camel's back, but it is an issue being considered. And this is something that people are looking at if they're looking at a city to host. You know, you look at all kinds of things. And one of the things you look at is, is the city a safe, friendly, inclusive environment uh, for people of all stripes to go and enjoy sporting events together. And I think that this um, this vote would indicate that Houston is not uh, necessarily the safe and friendly place that, um, that maybe some other places would be or that we would like to be. I don't see this uh, hurting Houston's um, reputation for business or um, affecting our um, candidacy for future uh, sporting events and things like that that would come to the city. In fact, um, I, I guess my impression of it is that it's been the opposite. I mean, certainly there are a lot of organizations that like to pride themselves on progressive values and, and whatnot, but then there are also some that don't. And um, I, I if we're talking about a family-friendly atmosphere, I know um, certainly all the, the people I've talked to that um, have large families, in particular daughters, were they were very concerned about the effect this ordinance could have. Um, and so in terms of a, a family-friendly and inclusive atmosphere, I think um, the way that the, the vote fell, it was um, in favor of that, not against it. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't see that happening. But, you know, then again, um, businesses, whether they be nonprofits, uh, whether it be the NCAA, they're going to do what's what, what's best for, for business. And so I, I think Houston, Houston is an attractive venue and offers a lot um, for future sporting events um, and other things like that. So I, I think that they're going to make the best decision that makes the most financial sense for them. Um, I, I think that this is sort of a, a flash in the pan relative to that. One thing that I do want to bring up is, as many of you are aware, I do work in the uh, oil and gas industry, uh, which predominantly I would say is more of a conservative uh, commodity industry. Uh, this past April, there were there was a lot of discussion about uh, you know discrimination, uh, specifically in Texas, Arkansas, and some other states. Uh, but we actually issued a press release on April 6th, and you can find it on bp.com/us. But I just wanted to read it to you guys, and uh, just for me, I'm proud to work for an organization that stood up for this. But uh, the, the statement says that BP strives to ensure that its workforce represents the societies where we operate, drawing the best talent from the diversity around us. We are committed to creating an environment of inclusion and acceptance, a goal made clear in our corporate values and code of conduct. We oppose discrimination of any kind, reflecting our commitment to treat people with respect and dignity. And we expect those with whom we work to act in a way that is consistent with our sense of fairness and equal opportunity. Uh, so for me, it's kind of refreshing to work for a corporation when actually, uh, you know, actively embraces diversity and inclusion. And, uh, you know, I, I do tend to uh, vote right, vote with the Republican Party. But for me, it was a little disheartening to see just, you know, one clause uh, in Hero uh, just kind of take away the whole anti-discrimination thing. And uh, to me, that's kind of a, a little saddening here. And I just want to point out, Texas is one of 28 states uh, nationwide without statewide laws prohibiting discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, I feel like we're on the wrong side of that. I, I don't see the disadvantage or the downside to moving in what is, I think, morally uh, the right direction. And, and this is just a disheartening uh, step for the city. And, and you talk about, Jeremy, um, people that have daughters, right? It's scary to have a daughter. I don't have one. I know people that do. It is I have little sisters. It's scary to have a daughter because of the way that uh, women are treated in this country uh, at times and the, and the sort of violence um, that happens, both implicit and explicit. Uh, and I think that those fears were played on and people were manipulated um, in a way that moved us backwards. Um, and I don't, I don't know. 
it's hard to blame the people that are afraid for daughters, but it's so ignorant, and I just don't know how long it's going to take this city to rebound and head back in the right direction from this sort of um, you know loss brought about by uh, paranoia and phobia. Kevin, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I respect that viewpoint. I just have to disagree. I mean, um, you know, as someone who, uh, you know, if, if I did have daughters, um, I, I would feel the exact same way um, as many of my coworkers who expressed to me their feelings that they were they were against this. I mean. Um, there were there have been a couple of uh, notable incidents here recently at the University of Toronto and at least one other campus where they actually um, they had gender neutral bathrooms initially and then they came back on it because of several incidences of voyeurism um, that were reported and so they actually limited the number of gender neutral bathrooms on campus because of men who uh, had the the right to be there based on how they felt that day um, and women who were uncomfortable by that and who felt that their privacy had been invaded. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see the, the, the point of view, but I, I draw the distinction between equality and affirmative accommodation. And this ordinance just went too far, in my opinion. And I think uh, the people of Houston spoke in an in a overwhelming majority on that. And I think they made the right decision. No one's pushing for gender neutral bathrooms. No one's push, pushing for unisex bathrooms. That was not this ordinance. The ordinance was that someone can. Right. But right. But but the public accommodation clause in the ordinance absolutely did allow uh, it opened up for lawsuits for uh, businesses that were not OK with having men and, and I mean, men and women using opposite sex bathrooms. It absolutely did. Um and that that was clear, and that was the rub. If if that had not been there, if that had not been there, I, I can't imagine that this wouldn't have passed. Um, and so, and, and really, if I when I look at the spirit of the ordinance itself, it's, I'm not at all against it. Um, I don't I don't think we should discriminate against uh, you know veterans and uh, people based on their origins or the color of their skin. Absolutely not. No, it, it was, but but that's not really what what the proponents of the ordinance were, were going for. They were going for something totally different, and it was about. Um, it, it was about you know LGBT equality, but but more but more than that, it was it was an aggressively worded ordinance that went after people who just don't agree with that lifestyle. I just, the lifestyle is even a word I disagree with using. That's just I don't know. I think that this is both you and the city at large. It's just an example of uh, of fear. Uh, phobia and discrimination and you know I, I love you buddy but it's you know we're on opposite sides of this and I think that history is ultimately going to bear me out <laughs> for me I think that's the great thing that we can actually come here and have a civil discussion uh, you know there's no name calling there's no insults or anything being hurled uh, so it's nice that uh, you know on a controversial subject like this that we're actually able to absorb the hot takes and opinions and be respectful of one another and I think that's one of the great things about the weekly brew I call Kevin names I have a journal where I just write terrible <laughs> things about Kevin, actually, that I uh, withhold here on the show. And that's why that's why we had to go with a second take here because of all the name calling that happened the first time around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the, the first take was so um, was so crude and uh, grotesque on my part. I, I I'm sorry, guys. I know we're sort of a family friendly program, so I had to had to to tone it down. Had to lock it down. Overall, I think this is going to be an issue that is going to kind of stay with the city of Houston uh, moving forward into 2016. So I think it's going to be interesting to follow, to see how the city of Houston and the lawmakers react and to see if they are able to actually come up with an ordinance that uh, I guess is a fair compromise for both sides and to uh, essentially make it not okay for people to discriminate. So it's going to be an interesting thing to follow moving into 2016. 
You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Speaking of racial inequality, the University of Missouri is the news this week after a series of racist incidents have yet to effectively been addressed by University President Tim Wolf. On October 24th, a swastika was found scrawled in feces on a white wall, and Mizzou grad student Jonathan Butler took a stand by announcing a one-man hunger strike until President Wolf resigned. This weekend, more than 30 football players at Mizzou announced that they will not participate in any practices or games until President Wolf resigns or is terminated. It's worth noting that Missouri's student body is 77% white, 7% black, while 58 of the school's 84 scholarship football players are African-American. Sports aside, why is it that we're in the 21st century and racism seems to be an ongoing issue with no resolution in sight? Well, because racism is an ongoing uh, issue with no solution in sight, like everywhere. It's it's happening, uh, you know, everywhere. So it's not surprising this is an issue. What I love about this story is the response. And I got to say, I get excited about this. This is exactly what college is about. These sorts of movements, these sorts of extreme stances um, are really what epitomize to me the college experience and the, you know, the ideal mindset, the activism that ought to exist on college campuses. And I got to say, I couldn't be happier um, about the response I've seen uh, on social media with the boycott. Um, even the hunger striking is like something you don't hear of very often anymore. Um, and I'm fired up about it. For me, I thought it was definitely interesting. It, it's something that has been in the news, you know, the past two or three weeks. And, you know, we hear that the hunger strike that started and, uh, you know, noble stand, I think, for uh, Jonathan Butler to take a stand in this situation, but he wasn't really getting a lot of notoriety with this until, uh, you know, this past weekend, a lot of the Mizzou student athletes started stepping up, taking to Twitter. And the cool thing is they actually had the support from their coaching staff, their fellow players that, uh, you know, are on scholarship. I mean, it's kind of cool to see them rally around uh, a key social issue. And, you know, I think you saw a lot of this back in the 1960s and 70s when you had a lot of athletes kind of taking stands against racist coaches. But now it's nice to see kind of the tables turned and the coaches actually support supporting uh, you know, the right to civil disobedience. Yeah, actually, the coach did tweet out that um, they're united. They all stand behind them. Um, of course, a lot of this, uh, the most recent part of it, Tim Wolf is sort of under fire. He's the uh, the president um, there, uh, Missouri system president. And uh, he, I guess, are you familiar with the the car, the uh, motorcade, and sort of what happened with that uh, with that protest? Yeah, just go ahead and enlighten the, the audience. Okay, so there was a protest. Um, the movement is, let me read this, make sure, Concerned Student 1950, 1950 being a reference to the first year that um, a black student was allowed on campus at uh, Missouri. But uh, so they use the hashtag Concerned Student 1950, et cetera. But that, that movement um, was protesting uh, against, you know, the, the racism on campus and uh, President Tim Wolf was coming by in a, I can't remember if it was a limo or just a, uh, um, a town car, but he was being driven. And in this protest, his car hit uh, one of the protesters twice. It wasn't like at high speed or anything, but it was it was violence, certainly being cast as violence by the movement. And um, so now he's coming under fire. And the hunger strike, Jonathan Butler's on, is to have Tim Wolf removed as president. The players are saying they won't play until Tim Wolf is removed as president. And a lot of this seems to revolve around his response or lack of response to what has now become, I think, a crisis. I thought it was kind of interesting. I look at the at the incident itself, and it's a little bizarre uh, if you ask me. I mean, I'm just looking at you know um, who who would make a swastika out of human feces. I just that just is bizarre. Like if you're if you're trying to accomplish a goal, even if you're just trying to agitate, I just I don't know. That's just bizarre to me. I feel like there are much more effective avenues than making swastikas out of poop. But anyways. Um, Butler, who's the guy on the hunger strike, did admit that none of the incidents are the president's fault, 
but um, he said as a collection of incidents at the university, they're his responsibility to address. So I'm guessing they're not satisfied with his response and um, are trying to get him to step down because of that. So um, I'm not sure if, if what they're trying to do um, is going to be effective, but at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, if they feel threatened and um, if, if they feel like that there's a problem that needs to be addressed, I mean, obviously it's something that um, is affecting the university because the football team is striking. So, uh, <laughs> and even a state like Missouri, uh, that that's a, that's a big deal. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what to what to make of this other than it's something that they have to deal with right now. Yeah, and just notably, uh, University of Missouri they lost to Mississippi State on Thursday night, thirty one to thirteen. They actually play BYU on November fourteenth at six thirty p.m. And notably, that game is a whiteout for their uh, fans. They're being told to wear all white. Oh my! Uh, so I think that is God. Kind of, uh, a little bit interesting with the dynamics going on at the university this week. That is horrible timing and terrible <laughs> it's a whiteout it, it, it this this is byu i'm assuming right against byu correct no, no no but byu is doing the whiteout no this is a game at mizzou oh oh yeah i mean I... do you see how tone deaf they are this is why they're demanding he step down regardless of what your school colors are i think you're tone deaf when you have a whiteout when you have players on your own team protesting because of racism at the university I think that's completely tone deaf. And the N-word's being thrown around constantly. There have been several groups on campus in the last two weeks that have been attacked with the N-word, which I, I won't say because I guess I'm a coward or whatever. But but uh, they, I mean, that's happening, and they have a whiteout. I didn't even know that. That's right. insane. If, if they, especially if they made that, that decision after all this happened, I, I would I would have to agree that is. No, I mean, this, this was a decision that was made months ago, weeks ago. Uh, but I think it's still something that the athletic marketing staff can and should correct. Absolutely. And so here's the statement, by the way. Uh, Tim Wolf did get, finally get back with a statement. This is you know a long time after the, uh, the events in the car in which he didn't get out and his driver hit someone. Um, he says, um, racism does exist at our university. It is unacceptable. It is a longstanding systemic problem which daily affects our family of students, faculty, and staff. And I'm sorry this is the case. I truly want all members of the university community to feel included, valued, and safe. I regret my reaction at the MU homecoming parade when the group approached my car. I'm sorry. My apologies long overdue. Uh, had I gotten out of the car to acknowledge the students and talk to them, perhaps we wouldn't be where we are today. I think it's too little too late. Um, this is It's a forced apology. Some kid is starving to death um, because of his principles, and so he had to issue this statement. I just think the guy is um, not great on his feet. I mean, get out of the car. Are you going to let your driver hit someone when there's a protest? And if you watch the footage, it's very moving. Um, almost everyone is in tears uh, after the car passes through and sort of the events take place. Um, people are comforting one another. Uh, it's it's a really moving picture of struggle, adversity, and togetherness. And then there's this guy who I think is an idiot. I mean, I can't imagine any other reason um, that, that he has reacted the way he has, except that he's just uh, paralyzed by fear uh, and just absolutely a moron. I think the butler guy uh, still has a choice to make on whether or not to put food into his mouth. Um, so I'm not going to blame Wolf for that. But, um, you know, I, I do agree that he is sort of a, a fumbling um, figure for the university. Definitely not quick on his feet. Yeah, definitely an interesting subject to follow here. And again, uh, today we've talked about both Hero Ordinance in Houston and Mizzou football and the racism that's going on uh, in and around the uh, Columbia community and worth noting that Columbia was once ranked one of the best places to live uh, in the uh, in the US and uh, that is no longer 
uh, the case, uh, according to several rankings. So uh, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it follows. And uh, kudos from the weekly brew staff to the Missouri football team and students at Missouri for stepping up and taking a stand in this situation. No, absolutely. I'm moved by it. I'm encouraged by it. I think that's an example of something that is going right in this country, and that's what colleges are meant to do. Uh, and I love seeing it. I hope we see uh, more of that kind of activism and togetherness. Um, I think it's encouraging. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew is Adam Coleman, who is a sports writer who works with the Houston Chronicle, the Associated Press, and Vibe Magazine. Adam, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be on. I guess before we get started, Adam, can you kind of tell the listeners about a little bit about yourself, who you are, what kind of sports you cover, and uh, just give them the lay of the landscape. Not to go on and on about myself, but uh, born, and <laughs> ra- born and raised here uh, in Houston. Um, went, I attended Texas Tech. Um, I was a student journalist at, at Texas Tech uh, up in Lubbock. Uh, and then when I graduated, um, I uh, got a job out in West Texas for a little bit, came back home and worked for uh, Houston Community Newspapers, uh, which is uh, where Kevin is. And uh, I covered uh, the Cypress area, I covered uh, 10, 11 teams there, and um, parlayed that into a job with the Houston Chronicle. Uh, I worked with Vipe uh, for about four years now. I've done some stuff on and off with the Associated Press for a while now, uh, just golf tournaments, uh, Astros games, Rockets games. Uh, college football but you know the main heart of what I do has been high school sports Uh, I love what I do I love covering high school sports it's just uh you know just so much fun and and it's different being a high school sports writer than it has been any other kind of high school any any other kind of sports writer so uh, I I think that's always uh one of the two treasures of my job but yeah man I just you know love what I do and it's a blessing waking up and uh being able to uh watch sports for a living I guess you could say so I don't know how interested the listeners are in this, but uh, I actually got my job when Adam left HCN for the Chronicle. So I appreciate that, Adam. The reason I'm in business at the moment is because of you. But it is different being a high school sports writer. I think that's interesting you bring that up. Um, I actually now have some control over the SciFair Sports account, the Twitter account that's at SciFair Sports. Yeah, and it's got 10,330 followers or something like that at this point. And that was mostly your work. So I thought that was really interesting. We kind of talked about it the other day. I mean, what? that's a big following. I mean, that's, that's high school sports. It's a whole different vibe. How did you build that from the ground up? And what does it take to have that sort of involvement in the community? It was really, I don't want to say random, but um, I just didn't expect it to get that big. I mean, you know, when, when I first started, I kind of, they, uh, they gave me the Twitter account a oh, long time ago. It had maybe like 90 followers and they said just do something with it i don't care you know just do whatever and then i took it and just started tweeting updates uh, i kind of got the idea uh from uh my former uh colleague who's now working with at the Crocker with me Corey repkin uh, he had kind of a similar deal going out in fort bend so i took that and just added my own style my own swag to it and uh tweeted updates connected with parents connected with athletes coaches i tweeted my stories from there i made sure it was that twitter account was i guess kind of the heartbeat of my coverage explain to me why your twitter followers hate my tweeting so much because i have gotten a lot of feedback and it's all been negative and it's usually like who the hell is tweeting from this account now? <laughs> well i think uh i don't know I, I, I wouldn't know man i wouldn't know kev i mean because uh you're doing the same things I did or similar things that I did. And I, you know, I would think that the people would love it, but I don't know. I mean, 
there was a deep connection built. I mean, at that job, you know, when I was there, I used to tell people all the time, I'm, you know, you're not just a journalist at this job. The way it ended up, you are more than a journalist, kind of a face of the community. I would have parents come up to me and say, my daughter loves you or my son loves you. Or I would have teachers come up to me and say, can you come speak to my class? People asking me for autographs and pictures and stuff. They thought I was a celebrity, but I'm just like, hey, I'm just a writer. You know, I'm just I'm just a regular sports writer. But, you know, it just it grew and grew and grew. And I got out in the community, met with kids, and, and it works in Cyprus because everybody knows everybody. It's a large suburb in Houston. These kids grew up with each other, and the Twitter account kind of became like a meeting place for the community sports-wise. I would tweet about music sometimes, tweet about hip-hop, you know, just tweet about pop culture, anything. And it just kind of became just an all-inclusive uh, follow. Students, parents, coaches, anybody who was interested in, in sports, uh, that was the vehicle for it. And, um, it, yeah, like I said, it became the heartbeat of the coverage. But for you, I don't know why, man. I mean, I I, I would hope that they would uh, welcome you with open arms, but I hate that to hear that. <laughs> They're giving you a hard time. I really do. <laughs> you need to tweet more about hip-hop, Kevin. I was going to say, it may surprise you to know this, I don't tweet much about hip-hop. It's, uh, it's first of all, I'm not permitted to by your former employer. And second of all, I don't know much about hip-hop. And that kind of gets at the root of what I'm thinking maybe it is. Because, and you are, and I'm, you know, obviously, uh, I like you a lot. You're a hip guy. You're kind of a cool figure. I don't think that I have that same coolness. I think I'm more of like kind of a nebbishy, uh, you know, um, writerly sort, and you're a much cooler guy. I think that's what they miss is the is the coolness that you brought to that. But you're right, Cypher Sports covering it is like a whole different ball game. Um, I'm enjoying it. It's a very competitive district and uh, and a lot of interesting figures. Um, what what were some of your favorite, I guess, memories or experiences from that time covering uh, Cypher? I mean, you just kind of spoke on it, man. Like the competitiveness, just how random the district was in football specifically. Uh, man, there were so many just great moments. Uh, you know, Cy Ranch, Cy, Cy Ranch winning the baseball state championship kind of, I guess, helped build that Twitter account and just kind of, you know, that was kind of one of the first big big events I covered for HCN. Uh, that was uh, the first one. That was back in 2012. Um, so many crazy football games. I'm sure you've seen some. Uh, I'm not sure if you were at Cy Woods in Jersey Village, 74-73. That was two weeks ago. But there have been like maybe yeah there have been like maybe five games like five ten games like that I covered over the last four years you know just so much fun with that interacting with with, with the students and, and the kids that was always a lot of fun I mean just great atmospheres it's it, it's a great part of Houston that Northwest Cypress area is a great part to live in just great part to be around and it's just so much talent I mean it, it just it makes your job easy when the games are fun to cover and when the rivalries are good and when the interaction is great. Kind of switching gears here a little bit. You mentioned that you uh, now work a little bit with the Associated Press and the Chronicle, sometimes covering Astros, Rockets, Texans. What has been the biggest adjustment in terms of covering high school athletics to covering the professional ranks? I mean, it seems like you're dealing with a completely different dynamic. Uh, it, it's more of a business approach rather than discussing the news, if, if that makes sense. For me, I try to approach everything the same because uh, no matter what it is, you know, professional high school, college, I mean, a, a writer is always going to be a writer. You just approach things, you approach everything in a business-like uh, way, uh, professional way, but it is different, though. The feel is different. Um, when you're in a Major League Baseball locker room, the feel is different. Um, and I think you just kind of have to naturally get used to that adjustment, uh, adjustment every time. 
you go from like on Friday covering a high school game and then on Saturday covering an Astros game. The environment, I guess, kind of prepares you for that, and naturally you kind of get adjusted to it. But uh, while you try to attack things the same way, you can kind of feel, okay, this is different, you know, this is something, um, you know, just a, a little bit. Uh, at first, you know, when I first started doing the course, it's something a little bit out of my element, but the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And that goes with everything in life. The more you the more you uh, approach something, the more you're around it, the more you get used to it, the more comfortable you get. But with high school sports, it's just personal. It's personal. It means something to people in a way that few few other things do. You know, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a part of you. It's a part of this fabric of this community, of this city, of this state, uh, in a way that few other things are. And and uh, you can definitely sense that when you go from covering a high school, a big high school game, to going to Astros or Texans. That pro professional fan support is great. It is great. And it, it has its own place. But when you talk about high school sports, man, it, it is it's family. It's it's something different, it's something very personal about it. And that's what I appreciate about it the most, I guess. What does it mean for you to be able to cover some of the athletes that, you know, were freshmen, sophomores, seeing them come up and develop and then turn into, you know, star college athletes and some of them getting a shot at the professional ranks? I mean, what is it to see that athlete grow over time and to kind of follow their career? Yeah, I think that's cool. I, I love um I love like being able to say I covered him back when, or I saw him play, or I watched them play uh, back when, and, and it's uh, it's 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 pretty cool. You go from watching them and covering them on a day to day basis to seeing them on TV, um, and and that that means a lot to you personally and also professionally. You know, it, it's cool to uh, to I guess watch some of these kids and some of these athletes grow from being kids to young men, young athletes. Uh, becoming famous and being on the television screen and being on Sports Center or something like that, you know, that's always cool. Um, and that's why I always try to make it a point to follow a lot of the athletes that I follow that I, I covered uh, after they graduate on the college scene. Um, anytime I see on Twitter they scored a touchdown for Oklahoma State or Texas or or A and M, I try to retweet it. I follow, read up on them, you know, catch up with them if I can, if I know them very well. And I try to keep contact as well because you never know. You might want to do a story. But but above all, it's just, it's just very cool, I guess, watching it from, from the beginning and watching it from the start and seeing what it turns into and, and uh, seeing these kids and, and these athletes become uh, just brand name, household names. And, and that's always a, a fun part of the job. On that topic of, you know, seeing kids go from, you know, high school athletes to college athletes, or is, is there anything you see in, in those kids that, uh, predicts them doing well or not so well in college. You know, are, are there are there kids who look like that they're better set up to handle the fame and like the attention that they get in college? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the ones that stick out to me are the ones that get all the attention and see how you handle it now. You know, uh, there are a lot of basketball players. Um, you know, uh, that that a lot of football players as well um, who. You know, we, we cover high school sports and we cover recruiting, especially like like madmen in this country now. I mean, there are recruiting websites everywhere. And in turn, right. these, these high school kids are treated, they're like stars. They're like, mid, you know, the big men on campus, 18, not, not even 18, but 17, 16-year-old, you know, uh, Twitter account, grown men and grown women tweeting them, hey, come to my school. 
and uh, you know, it, they they kind of have to deal with things that your average high school athlete doesn't have to deal with. And I think going off on your question to answer it, seeing how they deal with it at that point is a great indicator of how they'll deal with it in college when right. the TV camera, when the TV cameras are on you and the media isn't as um, I, 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 is a little bit more vicious, I guess, you know, or, or matter of fact, the fans are a little bit more vicious, I guess. And that's a good, good, that's a great indicator, uh, to how they deal with it. Cause some kids can't deal with it, but they have to, you know, and they have to learn right. how they have to lean on family. They got to lean on their coaches. They got to learn how to deal with those things, dealing with the media, uh, dealing with people talking about you all sorts of different ways and how they handle it now is a great indicator of how they handle it later. Um, and right. not every kid, not, not every kid handles it great. I mean, because it is, it, and it's ruthless. It's crazy to think like, man, you know, well, maybe we're too, too hard on these 15, 16, 17 year old kids, but um, you, you know, that's the way the world it is now, you know, just look at ESPN signing day in February for football and just, and just remember how oh, crazy yeah. it is, yeah, and and just how it just how how far we go as far as like just putting the spotlight on these kids. But how they handle it now is a great indicator of how they handle it in college. Because in college, it only gets uh, I guess uh, bigger. The bright light in the limelight only gets bigger, and you kind of have to continuously perform, and you got to do well in school. So um, yeah, mm-hmm. that they they have to learn for those things already in high school. Now let me ask you sort of a follow up to that. Um, who are some of the stars that you've covered, I guess, from their high school days into their uh, college days and maybe into a, a pro career? I covered, uh, you know, Keith Ford was uh, one of the first big athletes I covered. Um, you know, he uh, and you guys might not know him, but uh, he's he played at Oklahoma uh, and he's now transferred to Texas A&M um, and he's redshirted, but he should play next year. Uh when he was, I mean, he was here. He was one of the best running backs in the country, and going off of all the spotlight, um, you, you know, uh, guys like him, he kind of had to deal with that whole ESPN spotlight and rivals recruiting and all that good stuff. He had to deal with that spotlight. Um, man, I, I think about so many. I, I try to think of some, but uh, right now, you know, one guy I, I talk about a lot is uh, me and Kevin. We talked about this. De'Aaron Fox from from Cypress Lakes. He's still in high school. But he is the type, he's the top guard in the country, and I mean he's a kid you're going to see on TV one day. You might even see him in the league one day. Um, I've seen the Harrison Twins play. Uh, I've seen them play a lot. They're in the league right now. Um, I think one is playing for the Charlotte Hornets. I think it's Aaron who's playing for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, you know, uh, Rennie Childs at Oklahoma State is the current uh, running back uh, for Oklahoma State right now. Just uh, I try to think of Russell Shepard. You know, I try to think of guys like that uh, who's in the league right now. Uh, just so many athletes that that, uh, that that come to my mind that, you know, you, you saw it. And maybe back then you didn't know how big they would get or even, or even if they would reach that level. But, um, you know, just so many athletes come to my mind that, um, you know, at the time they were great guys and you knew that at some point, you know, they were going to do something special. You didn't know if it was going to be the NFL or college, but you knew they were going to do something special. And uh, it's always cool to see it turn out like that. You mentioned De'Aaron Fox, 6'3", 185-pound point guard from Cypress Lakes High School. Just looking at his offer sheet right now, uh, he's got offers from Arizona, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville. Uh, So the kid's definitely in good shape and one that you could see in the NBA after his freshman year, potential one-and-done candidate. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. And I I bring up his name just because right now he's the most, like, relevant, but – 
uh, wherever he he's like just you read up on him and people talk about him to talk about the potential what kind of player he can be and you think about all the one and done players that are headed to the NBA right now he fits right up that alley and I've gotten to know him very well over the last couple of years and he's a kid that handles the the spotlight very well because he always makes sure to stay a kid he likes video games <laughs> he likes to hang out with his friends and he always makes sure to just become keep staying a normal kid because he knows when he gets to college, you know, it's going to be different. The spotlight, if he goes to a place like Kentucky, it's going to be different. The spotlight is going to be on him and people are going to be talking about him in ways that, that uh, we here haven't talked about him. So he's going to have to deal with that. But I look at him, I look at the kind of player he's become. I mean, I would not be surprised to see him in the league a year or two from now. So definitely look out for that name for sure. Yeah. I actually got his page open right now too. We were talking about him earlier. He's a guy the Rockets could use certainly. Um, and kind of speaking of which, have you made it out to New Rockets games this season? A couple of preseason games, not not any uh, so far for the regular season, but a couple of preseason games. So I got a chance to see him in the preseason, and I've watched him, um, of course, uh, a lot uh, since the season has started. Big win last night. Um, it's still it's still very early for them. Uh, I think the main thing they got to they got to get healthy. They have to get healthy, uh, but they have to kind of I guess as the season goes along try to get more and more full strength, try to get healthier and healthier. Right now, it's okay that, you know, a guy like Patrick Beverly missed last night's game. It's okay that Dwight Howard was rested for the Kings game. It's okay if Dwight misses a couple games here and there, but at the closer you closer and get to the playoffs, you know, the healthier they need to be because I think that was the biggest uh, detriment to their season last year. They weren't really all the way healthy, and we still haven't seen this team all the way healthy um, you know, just in, in, I would say, like, maybe more than a year. It feels like more than a year. But, I mean, they got the talent. They have the talent uh, to, to make a deep run, get back to the West Conference Finals. And some people are saying they're a finals team, and that's definitely possible too. But uh, they got everything's got to fall into place, and they have to be clicking on all cylinders uh, to beat a team like Golden State. Um, and, I mean, there's just so many pieces that have to work for them. And But, We'll see how it goes. But so far, I mean, four straight, you can't argue with that if you're a Rockets fan. Speaking of Golden State, Kevin had mentioned a few weeks ago that if he was a betting man, he would have placed some money on the, the Warriors this year. And they are, you know, off to an absolutely ridiculous start. Seth Curry's playing out of his mind. I mean, are, are they the team to beat right now in the NBA? Absolutely. They're the team to beat. You know, I think some people would think maybe Cleveland is because, you know, LeBron is there and all but that LeBron's trying to beat them. You know what I'm saying? They, I have never, uh, it's been a while, I guess, since I've seen a team like this good, you know, and, uh, Seth, you know, uh, Steph Curry he came out the other day and said, Hey, um, I think we're better than last year. And I think they are better than last year. They are that good. And I think, I think we're watching Steph. When we watch Curry watching a player, um, he's already a star, but he's like, he's getting better in front of our eyes. And, and, you know, with LeBron, it was expected. We expected LeBron to be great and to take that mantle. But with, with, with Curry, you know, a lot of people uh, looked past him too short. A lot of people didn't believe in him. But we're seeing a guy who took all of that, used it as motivation, and is cashing in on that. And he's getting better. But that team is so deep also. It's, it's not just him. It's Klay Thompson. It's Draymond Green, you know. It's, it's uh, Iguodala, you know, who's who's a Finals MVP last year, and and nobody saw that coming. So they're better. They're the team to beat. And I'm not even sure if anybody in the West can go with them right now. But 
you know, we'll have to see. I, I, I would like to see what San Antonio could do to them, you know, but uh, everybody else is chasing them. And when we get to the playoffs, they're going to be the team to beat, and it's going to be tough. Well, before we let you go, we want to talk a little bit Texans. What is wrong with this team, and what can they do to right the ship? The easy answer is, okay, it's quarterback. It's quarterback. But they have multiple problems. They've reshuffled the offensive line so many times uh, this year that it's held them back. Um, and they've been hurt on that, on that, that in that unit. Defensively, I think this, this team has kind of, I guess, uh, fell short. When I looked at the roster on the defensive side, I was like, okay, this team, they can do some damage. You got Vince Wilfork, he still has a lot in the tank. You know, J.J.'s doing his thing. Clowney will come back healthy. But it really hasn't all panned out together. Uh, but I think this team has been trying to get by, let's build a defense, let's run the ball, and then we'll just get a quarterback who can be serviceable. I think while the easy answer is quarterback, it's and you don't always want to just go with quarterback as far as their problem, it starts there. That's where it starts. I think they have, and I tweeted this the other day, I think they have to rebuild. I know they're in first place right now, and they could very well be alone in first place, but they've got to rebuild. they got to retool, and it starts at quarterback. They have not invested in a young QB since David Carr, um, and even then they didn't do enough. To, they didn't put enough around him to help him be successful. It starts with a, with a young QB. Maybe that QB isn't in the first round. Maybe it's in the second round. I don't know where it is. I don't know who it is. But they can't keep pretending that they're close. And I think there's, there's this mindset that they're close or we're close to being a playoff team. If we if we need this, we just need this. But they're not. They're not close. They got to restart and press the breeze. I don't, I don't know. Blow it all up. You didn't got to blow it all up. But you got to retool at the most important position. And I think it starts there. And everything else. We'll take care of itself. If uh, Rick Smith's job comes open, Adam, it sounds like you might be a good candidate to replace him as GM. Oh no, man. I, I, I do not want those problems. I do not. <laughs> I, I do not. Want those. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised nobody has uh, showed up to his house like they did Matt Schaub last year. You know, because I know we we have some crazy fans here in Houston, and and, uh, and tried to confront uh, Rick Smith. But I mean, you know, his job is on the line. I mean, that, that's, there's no question his job is on the line. And, I mean, everybody's job is on the line. I mean, I, I think Bill O'Brien is safe. I would think somebody like Bill O'Brien is safe. It's just a second year. But all eyes are pointed toward Rick Smith, you know. And I know McNair is a very uh, patient owner. But, you know, let's say this team goes 4-11. and 11, I mean, excuse me, 4-12, and 5-11. and 11. You know, the fans are already talking about we want Rick Smith. I mean, McNair is going to have a decision to make, you know, ahead of the draft. So he's definitely feeling the pressure uh, for sure. But uh, as far as the GM job, leave that to a more capable person. I'm just going to watch on the sideline. So just to wrap up, man, it's, we've gone through a lot of stuff here. But uh, what if you're a Houston sports fan, what's coming up in the next year that you can really look forward to and that you'll be kind of uh, paying special attention to, whether it be high school, pro, college, you name it? I think um, a couple things that are really cool is the Super Bowl is coming back here and the Final Four is coming here this year. Um, and I think that's always cool. I know the city is doing a lot of redevelopment uh, uh, efforts downtown and, you know, with the Georgia Brown Convention Center. And I think uh, whenever those events come to Houston, um, and, you know, I've been here all my life. Uh, when Super Bowl was here, I think that was, what, back in 2003. That, I mean, that was just so much fun. And, and it's, it's a good look for the city. And I think the Final Four coming here is good. Houston's not known as a great college basketball town, but I think with the Final Four coming here, I mean, it's just a great setting, and, and it gets fans uh, pumped up. Uh, and on top of that, man, I mean, 
it's surprising, but the Astros, I mean, they they are the, the best set team, I guess, right now. I mean, the Rockets are great. The Rockets are doing great. But, I mean, when, you, when I think about the future, I, I feel like I'm most excited about the Astros. They're young. They yeah. just made the playoffs. Um, and they still got some great teams coming up on the farm, and they need to make some moves here. They're in the bullpen. But I think the Astros are a team that's regained the, the, the city's trust. They went through a lot of things on and off the field in the rebuild and they're fun. They're fun to watch again. And I think that ballpark is going to be packed uh, once again this year. Uh, it should be packed once again uh, coming up next year. So I'm, I'm most excited about the Astros. If, if that, if that makes sense, it'd be crazy to say that a couple of years ago, but I'm most excited about the Astros. I know the Rockets are doing well. And, you know, I, I love to see the Texans uh, kind of get back um, into a winning path at some point, but the Astros being good again, I think is the most exciting thing to be about in the city, and um, that's something uh, that's going to that's gonna be to watch. They, they got stars. They got Carlos Correa, Dallas Keuchel. They got stars, people you can get behind, and I think it's fun. I think it's good to have a great baseball team in the city again. Absolutely. Adam, Adam, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out to join us on uh, the Weekly Brew, and uh, before we let you go, you're quite active on social media. Can you go ahead and uh, tell the listeners how they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Coleman Sports. That's uh, C-O-L-E-M-A-N Sports. Man, I'm always on Twitter. Just please, uh, you know, follow me. You know, hit me up. Say hi. If you see me out and about at a high school game, say hey. Um, you know, I'm always around. And, uh, yeah, you can follow me there. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate everybody's support. And I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This is this is a really cool project. And, Kevin, thank you for inviting me, man. I love to uh, come on again at some point, but just thank you for this time. We will absolutely have you on again. Great guest. A future GM <laughs> of the Texans, Adam Coleman there. Thanks for joining us, man. All right. Thanks, Adam. We appreciate it. Closing time. All right. Well, again, uh, we want to thank uh, We Desserts for sponsoring the Weekly Brew Podcast. Again, uh, Kevin can tell you more about that. Uh, but also, we want you to be aware that you can follow us on social media and interact with us. You can follow us at Facebook.com slash Weekly Brewcast. Also at Twitter at Weekly Brewcast. We love to interact with our audience. Also, we want to we want you to go to iTunes, search for the Weekly Brew and uh, leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like about the show, uh, You know who your favorite hosts are, and so on and so forth. And Kevin, uh, if you can, before we close out, talk a little bit more about We Desserts. I love beignets. Uh, every time I go to New Orleans, I go specifically to Café du Mont and get beignets. And I have always been disappointed with the quality of beignets outside of New Orleans. But We Desserts, that's O-U-I, which is a foreign word, I'm told. Uh, we Desserts is on 3411 Kirby. They are a sponsor of us. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. We actually get hooked up there now. So we should totally all go by there and have beignets uh, this Friday or Saturday, which all day is beignet day. So, um, And if you mention our podcast, which, of course, is the Weekly Brew at the counter, then you can get 10% off of your purchase uh, at We Desserts. So we thank them for being a sponsor. We will uh, get our money's worth with free baked goods, I think. All right, so make sure you check out We Desserts. And uh, guys, I had a lot of fun this week. Uh, hopefully next week we will be joined again by Zach Taylor. Again, uh, he's uh, still mourning the loss of his grandfather, so continue to keep him in prayers. Uh, but for my co-hosts, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxson, I had a lot of fun. My name's Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 